everyone, my name is Harpinder. Hi, I'm Irene, and welcome to the Art of Creative Living Women of Color Summit. We are so happy to welcome Eliana as today's speaker. Before we get started, um, Eliana, do you want to let everyone know who you are and what you do? Yeah, happy to. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so who I am, uh, my full name is Constanza Eliana Chinea. Um, my ancestry and lineage is uh, based in Puerto Rico, uh, Borinquen, as we lovingly like to call our indigenous name on the island. Um, and I moved to the United States when I was about seven or eight years old. So English is my second language. I do have a little bit of an immigrant story, even though Puerto Rico is a colonized territory of the United States. So it's a complicated relationship. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got into wellness uh, about 11 years ago. I actually, um, it was a very difficult time in my life when I found uh, yoga and I, um, I found that yoga was a great liberation tool for a lot of the generational trauma that I had and also a lot of the mental health issues that I was having. And I, I was able to utilize my yoga practice very seriously about two years into my practice um, decided to uh, completely go sober from a binge drinking uh, addiction that I had in my 20s. And I've been sober ever since. I've been a yoga teacher ever since. Um, and I've been teaching for about uh, nine years now. So yeah, that's a little bit of the, the background of what got me into wellness. Um, and currently right now, I do a lot of social justice work, um, particularly with anti-racism work. Um, and I really utilize anti-racism and diversity, equity, inclusion, um, and decolonization theory in my work to ensure that wellness becomes accessible and, and it also represents the communities in which I come from, but also the communities who are largely underserved and underrepresented in the industry. So that's who I am. That's what I do. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, yeah. How are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> today, I'm okay. You know, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Um, and also, mm. you know, the pandemic, we've been in the pandemic for about three to four months now. So it's been a very interesting process to kind of watch the world go through this flux, um, to watch wellness become part of like the front of the conversation uh, around accessibility, particularly for the brown and black community. Um, and then police brutality has become a huge, huge um, issue in the last uh, couple of weeks as far as like being in the headlines even though police brutality since the dawn of uh, policing um, being invented has been violent and brutal. And so I feel very, um, I feel very honored to be a part of the conversation as an activist and as an anti-racism trainer. At the same time, I'm still very, very emotionally affected by everything mm -hmm. that's happening. Um, and so it's a, I kind of take it every day, just, you know, the emotions come and they go and also dealing with mental health issues is uh, not always easy, especially as an educator and a, as a uh, facilitator and a space holder. Um, but I take my work very seriously. And so I, I'm doing a lot of personal self-care so that I can show up for community as best as I can. 
Um, but it's also, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but I'm taking it day by day. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Um, I know for myself, you've been such an inspiration. Um, both me and Irene were in, um, for anyone that's going to be listening to this, we're in your Thrive program um, for six months where we really learned how to build um, and work within the yoga space without being in that studio space and not being harmed. Um, and I know just learning from you on ways to decolonize yoga and decolonize our offerings and how to really do that self-care was just so valuable. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm so, we're, we're so excited that we get to chat with you today um, and learn more about your background and the work that you have been doing. So thank you for sharing that. Um, one question that we are asking to all our speakers is what does it mean to be creative to you? Yeah, thank you. Um, to be creative to me, you know, creativity uh, for a lot of people looks like art, right? Like it looks mm. like a painting or a manifestation of a thought or an idea. Um, for me, creativity, it really comes by way of action. Um, so in the work that I do in, in yoga and in wellness and space holding and facilitating, um, creativity comes in first as the thought process of I want to be able to serve my community as best as I can um, and that might not seem like a creative idea or creative thought but when you are serving community it really does take quite a bit of creativity to be able to mm -hmm. do that and do it in a way that really serves the people um, so for me it's it's the the process of thinking a thought that, you know, I really want to be able to serve the community, right? And then thinking of all the different ways in which I can do that, whether it's finding a space, what will that space hold? Uh, what type of workshop or what type of event am I putting together? Um, the ways in which I can um, produce something to elevate or help to impact somebody's life that is creative to me. Um, and that's probably my favorite part of um, being in the space is, um, you know, that being an educator, it's like, it's so linear, right? Like we have the education, right? We have the shared language, we have everything is on paper or digital or whatever. And it, it kind of comes second nature after a while. And for me, the best part is in the creation of something new, something different and something that's going to be really, really impactful. And you can't have uh, that much impact or, or the greatest impact if you're constantly in a box. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, um, one of the most creative things that I recently did was put together a uh, virtual retreat type offering. We called it a wellness experience with um, a bunch of other women of color, specifically women of color. And that was a really, really creative process for me because it wasn't just linear stuff of, you know, the technology and here's how we're going to do it and here's the schedule and all of that stuff. But it was really like we had to think outside of the box of how are we going to help people create an internal home environment that really mm. served them for that weekend for three days and because we weren't there physically with them we really had to think outside of the box of like how is that going to look for them and how can we as facil facilitators 
that are not there present with people, how are we going to do that for them from the outside, right? From like pre-recorded videos. Um, so it was, it was a really, really creative process and, and also a collaborative process. I'd never worked with that many people before in my life. And so it was really great to um, <laughs> hear everybody's ideas and what I was thinking, you know, may have been great, but what somebody else was able to add to the table just made it even greater. Um, and there were certain things that I just had never thought of before. And then on the, on the weekend that we actually called it, we did three live calls. So we did one Friday, Saturday, Sunday for, for people just to continue uh, that community aspect of it, right? Because we weren't there with them in person. And so that uh, weekend was just so impactful for me to be able to come in virtual community with people, very similar to what we're doing here and hold space for people in a totally different way, in a way that had never been done before. Mm. Um, it was so cool. So yeah, it's a uh, creativity is, it, it can look so many different ways. But for me, it's mostly about stepping outside of your comfort zone and doing something that you've, you've never done before in a completely different and new way. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love what you said um, about creativity, about, you know, a lot of what I admire about your work is you're doing things that hasn't been done before, um, you know, like Harpender was saying, like in the yoga world, we think, okay, you only practice in a studio. Well, let's think about doing it virtually and how would a virtual retreat look like? And um, so I love what you said about that creativity isn't just art created in silo, it's community. The community aspect is so important. And I feel that now in this time of pandemic, a lot of people are now rethinking what creativity looks like to them and what community looks like to them as well. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think it's one of the one of the biggest things that I feel people hold themselves back on is that aspect of trying something new. And it does take a lot of mental energy to to go there. It also takes a lot of practice because I think um, as somebody who had been a student for a really, really long time before I became a teacher, and I'm still learning from lots of different mentors and um, I'm still very much connected to my, my own lineage and my swamis. I, um, I know how easy it can be to just be a student, to just absorb information mm -hmm. and never actually do something with it. Um, mm -hmm. It can be a really comfortable place. It can be a really safe place. And, um, and so when, when we're thinking about kind of like stepping outside of your comfort zone or stepping outside of the box, it's not that it's the risk factor that people are afraid of, right? And anytime that you're mm -hmm. creative, you never know how other people are going to take it. So mm -hmm. that it can, it can produce a little bit of anxiety. Um, but I think it's a muscle that you're, you're building over time. And the more you, you do stuff and the more that you decide to get creative with different things and different projects um, and, and stop pressuring yourself to make it look beautiful or make it look perfect. Um, that is definitely something that I have noticed in, in my own career of just allowing myself to, to go there, right? Like allowing myself to think big and get creative about what that big is, but also getting really creative with like budgeting, right? Like finances. I don't have a lot of finances to put, <laughs> to put a bunch of stuff together, right? And, and so if I can't, you know, if I don't have the budget of like, 
you know, a yoga journal, right, that can put together a really great and fantastic event with goodie bags and all of this crazy stuff, that doesn't necessarily mean that my level of creativity will be any less impactful than their big major budget, right? Mm. And so I find that when you do step outside of your comfort zone and when you do, you know, stretch that creativity muscle, um, it's really, really rewarding, even though you're like scared shitless at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't know what it's going to look like, but but it's so rewarding. Yeah. Mm. And that perfectly segues into the next question we wanted to ask you, which is, you know, the roadblocks you may have experienced, if any, as a woman of color on your path to creation. Love to hear you talk more about it. Yeah. I mean, definitely living in, in brown skin has um, shaped a lot of the work that I do. Um, and when I decided to only do offerings for people of color, specifically women of color, um, it was, it it was kind of a no brainer, even though at the same time, I still had this colonized, uh, mentality of, but I really need white people, right? I really need to be inclusive to white people because this, that, and the other, right? Like they have the money, they have this, they have access, they have opportunity, right? And so, um, I think it just brings me back to those times where, you know, I had moved to the United States, I was learning a new language, learning a new culture and experiencing racism for the first time and experiencing all of these different um, things that I just, you know, as a child, you don't necessarily know how to deal with it. And it shapes everything that you do, right? Every, every action is a reaction to what the oppression it is that you're facing. Um, and it wasn't until I really decided to commit to, um, decolonizing a lot of, a lot of the experiences of being a brown immigrant in this country, it shaped a lot of the way that I chose to show up in wellness after that, right? Like after I chose to, to really take a look at all of my experiences, it allowed me to, to move one step further and forward towards liberation and true liberation. Because I think um, a lot of wellness, you know, we hear about self-care and, and all of these different things that we can do and rest and how important that is. But we don't ever hear about why that's important. And we practice liberation practices, but we never fully understand why we're practicing them, right? Like, and, and because liberation is such an abstract thought, it's not something tangible that we know, oh, that's what liberation looks like. It can be kind of a little bit heady. And so when I decided that, um, you know, my experiences as a person of color really served its main purpose so that I could hold space for other women of color and for other people of color. Um, that was a completely transformational thought process. And so for the last, uh, really in the last like three to four years, I've been really committed to holding space for that. And I, it's been so rewarding to the point where I'm, I just don't want to stop. Right. Like I don't, I I've seen how impactful this work can be when I'm really, really committed to my passion and my purpose. 
and I no longer look at the oppression that I face on a daily basis, but really the oppression that I faced when I was younger all the way up till now. Um, I don't look at that as necessarily a burden anymore. I look at it as a lesson in life that was able to guide me to a place where now I can provide that same level of liberation to somebody else. And I can't give that to anybody, right? Like I can't make somebody liberated, but I can at least give them a sense of relaxation and rest mm -hmm. and a sense of safety, uh, relative safety, right? Because nobody can guarantee safety, but a sense of relative comfort and ease um, where they don't feel like they have to be anybody different. Um, as a person of color, I definitely felt like for a long time I had to be completely different. I couldn't be brown. I couldn't have curly hair. Um, I couldn't, you know, speak in Spanglish. I couldn't speak Spanish. I couldn't, you know, post up my, my flag, my Puerto Rican flag, right? Because it was dangerous. And I was taught that it was dangerous. And I was taught that I was wrong for being who I was. But when I decided that, you know, all of those experiences were really leading me towards a place of liberation and utilizing yoga and wellness as, as a stepping stone to get there, um, I realized like I, could, I couldn't keep that to myself. I really, really felt strongly that I wanted to provide that for other people and specifically women. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all of these experiences that, I've, that I have faced and that I continue to face, right? Because racism doesn't go away just because you're like, okay, I get it, you know? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I still, I still face it, but now it's more so, okay, I see you for what you are, right? I see mm -hmm. racism or I see you racist. I see you for what you are and I'm no longer internalizing that. And this experience that I'm having in this moment, I can now bring that to other people and show them how to deal with the situation and show them what has worked for me. Um, and that is invaluable. That's something I never had before. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question at all. Um, <laughs> I did, it did. Yeah, that, yeah, that absolutely did. Um, and I think that piece of, um, where you spoke about even sort of like pulling back like the curtain on like this is racism like these are the systems that are in play are so valuable um, I think it was maybe the third week of the training that we had with the Thrive program where you were talking about different levels of racism and different levels of white supremacy um, that I hadn't even known. And I went into my work where I do work with all um, white people and there were certain things that were being done and I was like, oh, that's what that is. It isn't me, it isn't something that I'm doing wrong. It's the systems that are in play and microaggressions um, and just even like being able to pull back that curtain and being able to understand this is what's happening is so powerful as a woman of color to not internalize it anymore, to not be like, this is something that has been my issue or my problem. And I've mm -hmm. been trying to like change myself. Yeah. Um, and I think I really owe a lot of that, like pulling away the curtain that worked to you and through that program of learning about these are the systems that are in play that do keep us down. Um, and there's a sense of liberation there where it's like, oh, I'm not an issue. <laughs> I'm beautiful the way I am. Like I'm great the way I am. Um, I think something so powerful in your work is creating that equity 
for teachers of color and really uplifting each other because that's so powerful when we, when we begin to collaborate. Um, and that's something that, again, like I just love so much about your work. Um, and that kind of segues into <laughs> the next question that we had was, um, what piece of advice do you have for women of color that might be feeling weighed down by the status quo, by the patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism? Um, and I think especially with all of the stuff that is being brought to the light now um, with COVID, um, with the protests that are going on, Black Lives Matter, um, would love to hear yeah, yeah, what you have to say on that. I think any advice that I could possibly give is more so around understanding that, like you said, this is not a you problem, this is a them problem, this is a society problem. Um, as far as the oppression that you face, right? And we all have a responsibility towards dismantling anti-blackness, especially if you are a non-black person of color, um, we all have a responsibility there. And that does need to get dismantled immediately, right? Because it feeds into colorism and it feeds into a whole sorts of other problems and issues that really need to be handled. Um, but as far as the oppression that you personally face as a person of color, the internalization of it is what's weighing you down, but it's not about mm -hmm. you. And that's, that's, the, that's the ideology of oppression and, um, and prejudice and racism is to try and get you to think that it's you that needs to change, but it really isn't. It's, it's society that needs to shift their perspective. And there are ways in which you can help to shift that perspective, but really it comes down to being embodied. And when you embody yourself as a liberated person, that sense of liberation is what helps other people of color to be like, oh, I want some of that. Like, I want what that person has. I want to walk like they do. I want to talk like they do. I want to feel empowered like they are. Um, when you walk and talk and behave in that way, in a way that, that looks to other people as confidence, but, you know, maybe not necessarily confidence is the right word for you because confidence can, can almost seem a little bit cocky, right? but the confidence of just being real with yourself and authentic and, um, and having a lot of integrity in the way that you operate, in the way that you move, in the, in the um, type of work that you do. No one can touch you when, they're, when you're in that space, when you're embodied. So that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give to specifically to people of color um, in this process and like really trying to unpack what is my identity? What are the experiences that I have faced? Because a lot of times we just want to block that shit out, right? Like we don't want to think about it. It's in the past. It doesn't bother me, but it does. It follows you. Um, and also unpacking ancestral stuff too. Um, when I decided to really start to unpack a lot of my ancestral lineage, where my people came from, who my grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents were, um, I realized that there was a pattern that a lot of the mental health issues that I was experiencing, actually a lot of my ancestors had also experienced. Mm. Um, a lot of like the anxiety and the depression really stemmed from a lot of the unrest and unwellness that my ancestors experienced. And I don't think that enough people do that. I think we all really internalize and personalize things as an individual 
and we don't take a look at like the greater, right? We don't live in this world alone. And we also didn't come into this world alone. There were thousands and hundreds of thousands of ancestors that had to exist in order for us to be here. And um, I think it's, you know, it's an indigenous thing um, or ideology that, you know, things get passed down and they don't go away for seven generations. And so if you haven't looked at that seven generations, you're going to think all of these issues and all of these problems that I have are mine and mine alone. And that's a very lonely space to live in. And I know that space because I lived in that space for a really long time. Um, so yeah, the, the biggest advice that I can give people is, is you're not alone, find community, do this, do this in a way, do this decolonization work in a way that really serves your liberation so that you can give that liberation to other people and really trying to embody being a person that takes their liberation seriously and liberation can look like any number of things it doesn't it, it doesn't that's the beautiful thing about it is it doesn't have to look any certain type of way liberation doesn't have to look like financial freedom it can but it doesn't have to right like you can be in poverty and be liberated and and be free um so it really just depends on you and what what it is that you're more comfortable with oh. Okay, I wish I had taken down some notes, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just, oh gosh, um, wow, beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much, um, Eliana. Uh, I feel like we have covered a lot of ground in terms of hearing what the creative process looks like for you, how you've actualized it, and your wisdom pearls of wisdom that you could share to everyone else that's listening. So thank you. Um, I guess the final question before I wrap things up is how can people reach you? Yeah, so um, they can find me on my website, embodyinclusivity.com is the website. Um, you can also find me on social media. It's at eliana.shanea on Instagram and also the handle embodyinclusivity on Instagram as well. Um, that's pretty much where people can find all of the work that I do. Um, I have lots and lots of different programs specifically for people of color, BIPOC, um, but I also do anti-racism trainings as well. Great. Awesome. Thanks so much, Eliana, um, for just such a wonderful interview. I feel like every time I talk to you, I just learn something new. Um, I just feel like I walk away just feeling, I don't know, just feeling so much more connected and joyous um that's the spirit you have and i'm just so so grateful to have had this chance um to speak with you again i know everyone that tunes in um will also find this to be such an enlightening and inspirational conversation um so thank you so much again thank you it's always good to see you <laughs> thank you so much thank right. you all.